The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So today is Earth Day, and uh, this is a very happy coincidence for me because uh, I spent the last, uh, I came back on Thursday evening from spending 23 days, nights, uh, living on the earth, living outdoors under the stars, and sleeping on the ground, and uh, far from any place where there is Wi-Fi and cellular connections. And, uh, and it was quite remarkable to doing that. And uh, I, was, I spent the time uh, rafting down the Grand Canyon with a group of friends, about, about 14 of us. And um, it was a, f- a phenomenal encounter with the earth. And, um, and so that's what's mostly on my mind, is to come here today. And so I get to kind of bring together these two, <clears throat> Earth Day and my own experience of these last month. And um, and uh, one of the fortunate things about, many things fortunate about this trip, but one of them was um, we had three geologists with us, coincidentally, and uh, to go down the Grand Canyon with geologists made it just come alive, or I don't know if live is the right word, but, uh, you know, you got to see. Uh, and what we see in the Grand Canyon in terms of the earth and the geolo- geology and geological time and, and the power of uh, the earth, the energies that go into forming and shaping and molding this planet of ours, it's just astounding to see. And, um, and then where we are, us as human beings, in the geological time of it all is also kind of astounding. So here's a uh, wonderful little kind of way of understanding something about geological time and our place in it. If the age of the earth could be viewed as one year, the earth formed on January 1st. During January and part of early February, the earth became organized into core, mantle, and crust. On about February 21st, life evolved. During all of spring, summer, and early fall, the earth evolved to continents and ocean basins, something like those of today, and plate tectonics became active. On October 25th, at the beginning of the Cambrian period, complex organisms, including those with shells, arrived. On December 7th, Reptiles evolved, and on Christmas Day, the dinosaurs became extinct. Modern humans, Homo sapiens, appeared on the scene at 11 p.m. on New Year's Eve. (laughs) And the last glacial age ended at 11.58 and 45 seconds p.m. on New Year's Eve. Three hundredths of a second before midnight on New Year's Eve, three hundredths of a second before midnight, Columbus landed on a West Indian island. 
and about a few thousands of a second, seconds ago, you were born. Uh, someone else uses the analogy of the age of the earth. If you spread it out, spread your arms out wide, straight, and that became the spectrum, the scale by which you looked at human life, you know, the earth's geological time. And, you know, maybe on the far, you know, tip of your right hand is the, is the beginning of it all. And, and there, you know, more or less today is coming, you know, is the far left hand stretched out. Then um, uh, human life uh, on the planet uh, would be uh, less wide, less long than uh, the clippings of your fingernail. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, just, the, you know, little, you know what, what, what do we do with our fingernails? We just, you know, we clip them off and throw away the clippings, right? And, you know, you know maybe we can, we're that dispensable maybe. So, uh, it, you know, we went to a place in the Grand Canyon called uh, Elves Chasm, place you side canyon you walk up in, and it's the oldest part of the Grand Canyon. It's 1.8 million, 1.8 billion years old. That's remarkable to be in any place like that, and um, it was a beautiful place, and it had a pool of beautiful pool of water and a little cave you go in, and it's kind of nice and wonderful hiking and. Climbing. We did a lot of climbing, kind of climbing. We had mountain climbers with us, so they kind of spotted us as we went to these amazing places. And they taught us little techniques of how to, I guess, stay alive. <laughs> a lot of the trip was learning how to stay alive. And um, the... Um, So it's remarkable to just go back and touch rock that's 1.8 billion years old, see it. It's impressive to see. In some of these places where it's that old, you can almost kind of see the formation of it. it you can kind of see how it was this very soft Play-Doh kind of stuff that was kind of being cooled and shaped and pressed. And then at some point, the Play-Doh kind of gets frozen in time. And you kind of see the the swirling, the twirling the, that, that, you know, that was existing back then. So you can, oh, it's remarkable. But this place called the Elves Chasm, um, not only was it formed 1.8 billion years ago, it was formed 13 miles under the surface of the earth. Not only was it formed one point, uh, 13 miles under the surface of the earth, uh, it was formed south of the equator before there was a North American continent before there was Pangaea Pangaea which is a German pronunciation for Pangaea is uh, the name of the one of the times like it's the last time I don't know if it's the last time even maybe the last time yes where there was there was a supercontinent when all the land mass in the world was one big continent (coughs) And this has happened periodically over time, different supercontinents. And, um, and we're, I guess we're on the track to do that again eventually. Uh, right now, I, I learned that uh, Australia is rushing to crash into Asia. 
And uh, just like we're in the middle of the crash of India into Asia, um, Australia is moving one inch a year. So, you know, be sure you're not standing in the way when it comes. <laughs> but in this elf chasm, this, you know, this Grand Canyon, it wasn't even part of North, North America didn't even exist at that point. And, um, and then, you know, you, get, you see these layers of rock and sediment and see that uh, that whole, what we call Grand Canyon, that area was, for long periods of stretch, was underwater and then it came out of water and came underwater. And, <clears throat> and then most recently, which is only some 40, no, only some few million years ago, there were volcanoes there and and um, you see the, the, the lava, you know, frozen in time, kind of coming down the edges of the granite or the sandstone and just kind of like dripping down and gets getting cold. And it's just the energy of it all is phenomenal. And then you have the Grand Canyon itself, which is not so old. Nowadays, they kind of think it's about six million years old. And, you know, it's a mile deep and um, probably mostly created during the... Uh, melting of the ice age and there was just so much water that came down from the Rockies or during the end of the ice age I mean the amount of water um, there were they believe that there are boulders that were a hundred feet in diameter that were rolling like little toys down the Grand Canyon because the water was so great just carving it out and and, um, and so anyway, this lava came down parts of it and created big dams. And um, they were for, you know, some hundreds of thousands of years ago. And uh, so the dams and lakes were formed and then they got washed away and, you know, nothing stands, you know, the, the river just kind of washes everything away. The time, you know, just all changes and flows. And, and now we have um, uh, the Glen Canyon Dam upriver from the Grand Canyon, and that um, Hoover, uh, Lake Powell has, has been created. And uh, it's now, I think it's about, I think it's about, I think it was made in the, in the 1950s, is that right, someone know? Not so old. But it's silting up, because you can't stop the silt coming down from the Rockies and everything. So it's silting up, and it's not going to last very long. Just like all these lava dams that created big lakes in the Grand Canyon, this too is going to go. And who knows, maybe it'll just kind of suddenly break. One of the geologists told me that, um, uh, I guess in the area maybe of Idaho, there used to be this huge, many years ago, huge, huge lake, maybe at the end of one of the ice ages. And at some point, um, uh, one of the walls that was holding that lake in burst. <clears throat> and just a matter of week, it created the Columbia Gorge. You know, just all this water pouring down, carving away the sand and rocks carving away. So we were there, you know, so it's phenomenal, this earth that we're living on. That started with just gas and stardust, just a little over four, just a little over 4.5 billion years ago. And then there was this you know, supernova that somehow sent out a shock wave that spun this gas and dust apparently and as it spun it formed the Milky Way and or our solar galaxy and and then that gas and dust kind of started organizing itself and 
And, uh, and here we are. <laughs> so this geological time was quite something to experience. And we were rafting down the rapids of the Grand Canyon. And um, going down these rapids, some of them are notorious. I didn't know these names. Some of you, for the people who know, these names are, you know, some people cower. I didn't know that. But, you know, there's um, Hans and Badger and Bedrock and there's one called Upset. (laughs) And uh, one of the most famous ones is called Lava. And uh, I was reading Henry Wesley Powell's uh, stories of going down. He was the first person to go down the river in a boat successfully. And um, he named some of these. You know, it was harrowing to read about his experience with the rapids. And um, bedrock, where we had we had trouble in some of these. Th- so they're, they're not just ideas. They're and so these uh, these rapids, you know, I mean, you, I mean forget about geological time. Uh, it, it, this moment is all there is. <laughs> you know, everything gets reduced to now. And so this this fifth, this fullness of just now being here, just he- and having to be so attentive and caring and you know, focused. On, on just the whole experience of now and reading the river and the, the boats and staying on track. and um, It was quite something. And um, the, one of the first significant... I'd never done any rafting like this, so in the first significant ra- uh, rapids we went down, um, they have something called a hole in rivers. And I didn't know what a hole was. I didn't know rivers had holes. And uh, it's where the water goes over kind of a ledge in the beginning of the rapids, usually, part of the rapids. But the water comes down over their ledge so strongly that as it comes down, it curls back on itself. So it makes a hole and it curls back. And if you can get stuck in those, so you can get stuck for a long time in them. And um, so the first significant rapid we went in, um, my wife and I were the passengers on the raft at that point. And uh, we knew to, if you start going up a wave to, to, you know, to getting tipped over, you're supposed to high side, go against the high side to keep from flipping over. So, you know, it seemed to me like we were just going up one wave and down, up the next wave and down, and we were kept high siding. But actually we were in a hole. We weren't going up and down, we were just going up and down the same wave. <laughs> so we were doing that for a while. <clears throat> And then I happened to look down to my left, off the side of the boat, into the water. And the person who was behind me rowing the boat, his head popped up in the water. <laughs> what are you doing there? <laughs> and we didn't, have a, we didn't have a pilot. There was no one behind us. <laughs> He'd fallen in. So I pulled him up, and, and then we figured out what to do. So, uh, you know, so the present moment. And... Um, so it was quite something to meditate in the Grand Canyon with this, between the scale of time and the power of the valley and the earth. Um, and then also to... Um, and, then, you know, and then the moment and the, the danger that's there and the power of the earth. And, and um, you know, we can live in certain kind of complacency sometimes about the power of the earth here. You know, you know living so close to the San Andreas Fault. 
Um, one of the things I learned from these geologists is that it isn't, most of these big geological changes don't happen gradually. They happen, t- tend to happen in big uh, spurts. And uh, like, the, like the Owens Valley earthquake in, I think, 1870s, um, the earth moved 30 feet. And uh, San Andreas Fault in many feet as well. So <clears throat> it's, a, it, uh, it's a little bit of a problem for property rights. You know, who owns what then? But, you know, so these big changes that can come anytime, any moment. So how do we live with this earth of ours? How do we live in this world that this, you know, is, is actually so fluid. It's amazing. I mean, you get a sense of the fluidity and the change and, and what's going on. The, um, and then I had an interesting experience. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of erosion in the Grand Canyon. That's how it's one of the ways it was formed is tremendous amount of erosion. And one of the ways that the erosion is formed is that the softer rocks um, are on a lower layer and they get worn away. And then this, this, the um, this harder rocks that are above they were, um, will collapse. And so you have these huge um, rubble fields of, uh, you know, and we came across one, just huge, you know, big kind of square blocks of, Rubble, you know, these huge granite. I don't know what they were, just huge things. That, and I, I thought, oh, that looks like you know the the construction workers kind of just dump their pick their their dump truck full of construction material and just made a mess and left and left for a few hundreds of thousands of years. And then I stood there, like, mess, and I wondered, is there a mess in nature? And uh, I said, no, a mess doesn't exist in nature. A mess is just something that, you know, human projection, you know, idea of, you know, it should be a certain way, it should be neat or something. So that seemed kind of obvious some way. But then the corollary of that is there beauty in nature. Because, you know, it's so inspired by the beauty of it all. It's so meaningful and created so much sense of peace and harmony and inspiration. Is there beauty in nature? You know... It's easy enough to say there's no mess, but do we want to say there's no beauty? Maybe, be- but beauty and, and mess exists in the eyes of the beholder, in us. <clears throat> and, you know, we're important as well. And so what is it about us? So one of the meditations I had sitting on the river was um, um, after kind of imbuing, imbide, you know, absorbing this experience for days on end, I was sitting meditating and and my mind kind of pulled itself inward almost and I had a sense going inward, deeper and deeper inside of myself, stiller and quieter, stiller, 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 that I was going through geological layers in my own mind. You know, we, you know, we have, you know, we're, we've evolved out of creatures for these many billions of years and some of the, you know, the remnants of all that history of evolution still exists in us, right? Reptilian brains and all kinds of things. And so we have layers and layers as well, you know, because I got a sense, wow, there's a Grand Canyon in me. Wow, it's like going in, 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 it's like an awe, you know, what Grand Canyon outside, Grand Canyon inside. And, um, and, uh, and then I was reflecting something I've learned about, um, like apparently the average, I don't know, the ordinary human brain, I don't know if any of us are ordinary, uh, but the uh, ordinary human brain has uh, 86 billion uh, neurons. That's a lot of neurons. 
And then if you consider the, the number of connections between those neurons, you know, we're getting up into trillions of neural connections. There are something like a hundred billion galaxies in the universe. No, 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 it was a hundred billion, hundred trillion. I mean, the, the astounding. Um, some of these galaxies, like the Milky Way, has something like, it's kind of smallish galaxy, apparently, but it only has something like um, two, one to two hundred billion stars. You know, if that has, you know, that many stars and there's so many galaxies, how many stars are there? And so the scale of, you know, of neural connections inside of us and the scale of these stars beyond us, I don't know if this is accurate, you know, but um, I kind of had the sense that we sit in the, with our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue, our tactile sensations, we sit at this kind of interface, like this very thin veil of interface between the vastness beyond us and this vastness within. And, uh, and we tend to live right there in that interface and make a whole universe of ourselves, our concerns, preoccupations of the day and everything. Um, but, you know, uh, the, what we're consciously aware of usually as we go about our life is such a small, teeny little sliver. You know, it's less than, I don't know, it's less than a fingernail clipping. It's less than a, maybe it's the amount of, if you rub your fingers together, it's the amount of skin that gets worn off and floats away. Um, this little world that we live in and are caught up in and preoccupied in. And uh, so this amazing kind of, you know, you know, we're amazing product of this earth. We're completely made up of recycled material. <laughs> you know, and uh, well, at one point I was marveling at the Grand Canyon and the water. And I w- wondered how many times some of those water particles had taken the same trip. Because, you know, there's in one square centimeter of water, there's something like, I don't know, I don't know, some astounding number of water particles. And, you know, as they get evaporate and spread around the earth, and, you know, it's guaranteed that some of it's going to come back to where it was sooner or later, where it was before. And so for us, you know, what all the, all the, physical materials that make us up as human beings. I mean, we're complete, we're stardust, they say, right? But uh, we're all this physical, I mean, you know, now this material is us, but it's been others, it's been other things, it's been Grand Canyons, it's been in the rivers, it's been everywhere, it's been molten lava. The first um, geological period, the the name for it, of the earth, some of you probably know, um, is the Hadean period from the Greek word Hades, um, a hell. <laughs> because it was so hot and there was no oxygen and there was all these, apparently they think there's lots of meteorites that came down and just, you know, hellish kind of environment. So we went through that too, or at least our stuff, all the stuff that we have that, you know, we live with. And, uh, and somehow out of that soup and that mix came these creatures that uh, could be aware, could be self-reflective. I love the idea that uh, human beings are nature aware of itself. That we're, that we're part of nature and intimately part of it. And um, 
And uh, how do we live in this natural world? How do we live as human beings in the world that is us? Do we have this capacity to remove ourselves from the earth, from nature, as if we're different and independent of it, and live completely independent of any kind of concern for our intimate connection that we have with the planet, with the earth, with the natural world. Without, the, you know, we, we're so intimate with it and, uh, and can be so disconnected from it. Um, you know, I suspect, you know, there's probably a mathematical formula that can be made up uh, that correlates um, screen time with losing the connection with this planet and the nature and the earth. And um, the greater the screen time, the less the natural time that people have. But we are definitely, it's part of, you know, we're intimately part of this natural world. And, how do, and so how do we live with it? And one of the things that Buddhism offers is to be really careful to understand uh, what goes on inside of us. And so I, I made this an example of the mess and the beauty to see how the mess and beauty that we see in the natural world uh, is something that's constructed by human ideas and thoughts and feelings and emotions. And that's not to dismiss the value of that. It's wonderful to see beauty. It's inspiring and very meaningful. Uh, but we have, uh, we're built, part of this way I think we're built is to, uh, is to be in interaction, be in relationship with each other, with the world, with nature. And these capacities for empathy, capacity for attention, capacity for uh, feelings and emotions. Um, these are all, you know, things that arose in relationship to living in this natural world. And, um, and how do we live with it in a way that's meaningful, important, caring, valuable? Uh, is it valuable for to be more connected to the earth? Is it valuable to feel that we're part of the earth? Uh, is it valuable to uh, not to exploit the world, to avoid creating harm to these creatures of the earth, to the world itself? Um, that you know, in some one point of view, it doesn't matter. Some of this stuff. I mean, I read one one of the uh, uh, Park Service geologists wrote this thing saying, you know, this. Glen Canyon Dam, she was the one who wrote about the Glen Canyon Dam and saying the silt is coming up and it's probably going to last maybe another 50 years and, and the river will claim it again. And, uh, and you know, in the, in the scale of the Grand Canyon, it's just a little blip. For the sake of the Grand Canyon, it doesn't really matter. This, you know, just, it'll be not even noticeable, this, this dam and its destruction. So does that mean it doesn't matter and we shouldn't be un- unconcerned with it? Um, I don't think that the human beings are constructed to be unconcerned with it. I think we're constructed to have a sense of empathy and care and, and sense of commonality to all kinds of things. One of the things that was very present for me in going down the Grand Canyon was the Native American communities that lived there for thousands of years. And uh, apparently the Grand Canyon was a sacred place for the Hopi Indians and other Indians, Navajo Indians. And, and, um, and they would make pilgrimages to it. And, um, you know, for hundreds of years. And um, so for me, hearing that, I feel a certain reverence. 
I feel like that that's that's very meaningful in the deep deep in the hearts of these native people who lived there and were connected to it and a lot of it was taken away from them and and uh and so when I'm in the Grand Canyon, you know, that's part of the my care and attention. I didn't want to take anything from the Grand Canyon. You weren't supposed to actually. You weren't supposed to leave anything either. And uh, I didn't know about this thing. But I, I won't explain what this is, but like some of you know about uh, groovers. A big part of the trip was taking care of groovers. And uh, groovers is the way that you take your poop out of the river. And, um, you know, so you're just always, you know, always, you know, this caring for the, caring for the natural environment, not creating any unnecessary damage. And it made a lot of sense to me. It made a lot of sense. I could feel the sense of reverence to, with it all. Um, these oldest layers of the canyon, um, the oldest layers, most people refer to uh, geologically as um, Vishnu Schist. Schist is a kind of metamorph- metamorphic rock, but it's named after the, the god Vishnu. And there's also Rama Schist. And there's... Um, Brahmashist. And I thought, that's curious. And uh, I tried to find out from the geologists, why is it called that? None of the geologists on the trip could answer my question. That's just what it's called. But I found out last night that um, the first geologist who really went down to study the Grand Canyon in the 1880s, he named uh, a a lot of the buttes and mountaintops of the valley and he felt that given the age and the time of the and the and the sacredness specialness of the grand canyon he, he felt it belonged to all humanity to everyone and so he went around and named the mountains out of the uh, the gods and mythologies of people from all over the world and so there's a there's a brahma temple which is a butte there's a vishnu temple which is another butte or a spire there's even a buddha temple in the grand canyon and uh, all these, you know, things. But this idea that it kind of belongs to all of us, you know, it was formed before the North American continent existed. So to sit, to sit with a reverence, to sit with, I mean, we have a capacity for feeling connected, feeling moved, feeling caring. We have a capacity to understand uh, the harm that's caused to individuals, to people, to creatures, and perhaps also to a sense of uh, uh, interfering with the natural order of things, how things are, which humans have a tremendous capacity because there's so many of us and we're so technologically and industrially capable to doing so many, you know, create so much damage on the planet. Um, you know, in, in some sense, you know, in the scale of it all, you know, it just probably the damage we're doing to what exists, you know, probably doesn't, I don't know what, how it compares to the, you know, the ice ages and how things changed then. And, you know, you know there were times when we had mass extinctions in the, or in the history of the planet that 90% of life disappeared. And apparently, <clears throat> you know, the, we started off with more anaerobic life and then the aerobic life kind of took over that's was kind of cruel, <laughs> you know. The anaerobic anaerobic life, life was here first, and they had to be bumped aside. And 
So, you know, all this stuff happens. You can say, now it's human's turn to kind of go through its thing. It's just part of the natural process. And uh, in the scale of time, it doesn't matter. Another billion years, the sun's going to disappear. And in a few more billion years, our galaxy is going to crash into the Andromeda galaxy. That'll be a great experience. (laughs) Put the Australia crashing into Asia perspective. And so you could do that and kind of be dismissive of it. It doesn't matter in the scale of things. But I don't think human beings are created to say it doesn't matter. I think to say it doesn't matter is to, uh, is to be disconnected. I think, again, probably you can make an equation. I apologize for this if this is offensive to anyone. Between um, you know, screen time and desensitivity, the attitude, it doesn't matter, or disconnection. I think that we're built in a way that if, we're, if we are settled on ourselves, if we're attentive, if we're not swirling in the fires and molten lavas of fear and greed and hatred, and have kind of been able to settle this down, that uh, 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 these wonderful capacities of caring and empathy and, and, um, and non-greed and non-hate become predominant. And, uh, and then I think it's natural to not want to damage. It's natural not to want to lord over. It's natural to want to be careful and caring and reverent for this world, this nature, this natural world we're in. Um, and so coming through this experience of three weeks and four weeks in the Grand Canyon, um, the sense of reverence for this life, reverence for this earth, reverence for a natural world, seems to be uh, uh, one of the one of the really precious human capacities that we have. I don't know why we have a possibility for a sense of sacredness or reverence or respect or awe, but we do. And it's a wonderful thing to be settled enough and quiet enough and still enough and peaceful enough or non-agitated enough to allow these to bubble up and be there. And to sit there and meditate and have a reverent feeling for the Grand Canyon within, reverent feeling for this amazing thing that we're part of, amazing power, amazing flow, amazing unfolding that uh, we're all kind of stardust on one hand, insignificant little specks, and on the other hand, something amazing and phenomenal and valuable. And how do we negotiate? How do we find our way between the awesomeness and reverence of this experience of this universe that we are blessed to be part of and then negotiate the rapids of our daily lives, the moment-to-moment experience of how we find our way and stay safe. So last thing I'll say, that one of the absolute rules 
of rafting down the Grand Canyon is wearing a personal flotation device. (laughs) I think the fine for not wearing one was something like $5,000. And so I don't know if it's a rule, but the comparable personal flotation device in rest outside of the Grand Canyon is mindfulness. If you keep mind, if you're mindful, no matter what rapids you fall into, you'll float. And if you're not in the rapids and you're mindful, maybe there's half a chance that you'll appreciate the awesomeness and the reverence of this life, this world, the earth. And that as you go, especially today, going around Earth Day, it's a good day to appreciate the power and beauty and appreciation for what some people call our great mother, Mother Earth, out of which we've come and out of which we are and out of which we will return. We're all recycled material from this earth. Take good care of it. So, thank you.